But I'm here to welcome someone else, someone special. Okay, and that is, I mentioned uh, last Sunday that she's going to be here with us and she's going to be preaching and sharing a little more on what she does and give it up for Kavitha Emmanuel. Okay, Kavitha, uh, I have the privilege of getting to know her. We got to, as I told you last Sunday, we got to know each other in the coaching space where she was my mentor coach. And uh, through that, I got to know about something she does, which is called disruptive women. And immediately everyone went, whoa, what's that? You know, and basically the gospel is disruptive. When Jesus came, he came announcing the kingdom of God with saying repent. Correct? What does repent mean? Change. Change the way you think, change the way you do, change the way you feel, change the way you behave, change your culture, bring it in alignment with what God's word actually meant. They distorted it. He brought disruption and corrected it. Yeah. Now part of that, our mandate is also to be dis disruptive in our world. Because the world is going in one direction and we need to disrupt it and help bring it back, course correction. And part of the Great Commission is disruption because we're disrupting the principalities, the powers that rule the world. And we're saying we're going to bring, we if you want to bring kingdom here on earth, then we have to do something. We've got to be salt and light. And I love what Kavita shared yesterday. A quote from John Stott which says, do you know why the meat rots? The meat goes rotten because there isn't enough salt to preserve it. The meat goes rotten because there isn't enough salt to preserve it. And who is the salt? We are. What is the meat? Society. The world. The world is rotting, my friends, because you and I need to do something. This is one such campaign in that direction. Dark is beautiful. We live in a country that glorifies fair skin. Yeah, if you look at any ad in the newspaper today's Sunday matrimony, looking for girl five foot seven, what? Fair, da-da-da, da-da-da. First, fair, forget about anything else. And I think, guys, we need to disrupt that. You know, you say, who are you to talk? Now, I can't help the color of my skin, okay? <laughs> it, just, it is what it is, but we need to get hold of this. Now, it's not about this book, just. Please read it. Give it to friends who you know are affected by this. But when we buy a book, we are supporting the campaign. We're supporting the work that they're doing far beyond just colorism. They're doing work in this creating safe spaces in churches. They're doing work on rescue of girls that have been are, uh, abducted and abused, human trafficking, and all of that. My friends, that costs money. I've told you this. Advocacy costs money. Pick up books as, as gifts for friends, but let's clear the table, okay, today? Can we do that? Let's clear it and we'll have to say, Kavitha, please send more. Okay, so without much ado, Kavitha, over to you.
<laughs> Thank you. Hello, everyone. My, what an introduction. Nawaz, uh, thank you so much. I'm really humbled. Um, you know, people sometimes say it's, it's a saying, it's the norm. They say that uh, two women can't get along, right? They say that women are like crabs in a bucket. Uh, one climbs up, the other pulls uh, the one that's climbing up. So no one gets up. But that's not true because we are kingdom women, right? <laughs> We lift each other up, <laughs> yes. And I really um, am grateful to God for having bumped into Nawaz. Oh, what, what a woman, what a rock star she is. Um, if you guys, <laughs> yes. Church, sometimes, you know, when people are with us every day, we don't realize, right? Um, so it, it takes someone outside your four walls to come and tell you what an awesome leader you have. I, um, I don't know how you go by, I mean, I don't believe in titles, but I think she's an amazing pastor that you have. Um, <laughs> yes. So great to uh, know Colin. Oh my God, what? Uh, it's such a sweet spirit here. I feel at home. You walk into some churches and, and you see, you can visibly see the hierarchy, right? And you visibly see the control. You visibly see people afraid of the leadership. But here I walk in, there's such a sweet spirit. There's such a family feeling. And thank you, Colin and Nawaz, for creating that environment where people can be free. That is so rare in churches today. That is so rare because that's how it's supposed to be. Jesus ate and slept and drank and, you know, did that with his disciples. He was approachable. And sometimes as leaders, we just sit on a pedestal or just stand only behind the pulpit and we don't let people come near us. And that's not what a church is supposed to be. And I really am grateful. I didn't plan to say all this. <laughs> I think God's fire is here. So something is happening. <laughs> So it's really, um, yeah, so that's where God's, in God's presence, there's freedom. And we are equal in God's eyes. And yes, God has given us different roles and gifts that we do with all our heart. But we are all here to serve. And um, Jesus demonstrated it by washing the feet of his disciples. Right? So that's, that's the spirit. And I sense it here. And I thank God for that. And the number of young people out here. Not many would do that. I've been to churches, people. I know not many would allow people who are younger, you know, to come and take the pulpit, do stuff, lead communion, lead worship. It's awesome. So I commend you, uh, and I'm really privileged to be here with you. Thank you so much. Okay, I know you're all waiting for a really serious sermon. <laughs> but from where I come from, you know, uh, at Powerhouse, my husband and I, we planted uh, Powerhouse churches in Chennai, 27 years back and when we started church when we look back we were like 25 26 years old and um, You know we we just started this church because we just wanted to obey what God was asking us to do because I come from a City with a lot of churches. We have 6,000 churches in my city <laughs> But why another church? Um, there is also a lot of religion, right? Uh, there's also a lot of legalism and tradition and and we we saw young people leaving church and 
uh, we felt um, God was asking us to do something different. Like uh, my husband always always says, like it's like different flavors of ice cream. Some of us like vanilla, some of us like strawberry. What do you like? My husband hates strawberry. Um, anyway, so yeah, so there was this flavor that was lacking at that point. Um, so we started powerhouse wondering and hoping that God would send a pastor to come and take over the church. But nobody came <laughs> because he thought we were there. So we just grew with the church. We just got married then. So that's how our life has been. It's been an amazing journey. Right now, my husband is in um, the Northeast. He works with city initiatives. And uh, we did crazy things because we were like young. Uh, of course, we failed a lot, learned through a lot of uh, mistakes, but we were also pretty disruptive. So, um, on a wedding, you know how we, traditional weddings can be in Chennai, right? Very solemn. There's a, there's a process and a method and a way to do everything. But on our, right on our wedding invitation, you know what verse we had? We said, um, one of us can put a thousand to flight, but two can put ten thousand to flight. That was the worst on our wedding. Now I know we misquoted it, but still, <laughs> but still, um, the idea was that God is bringing us together, and we want to disrupt, you know, uh, what's around us. We want to live for Him, and uh, so yeah, it's been exciting. Um, I just want—I have a video for you. Uh, just watch it, yeah, and, and you're okay to laugh. From where I come, we laugh a lot. In the, yeah, there's laughter and joy in God's presence. So just watch this, yeah. Yes, uh, so that's a funny video. And I've, it's a really old one. Maybe some of you have seen it before, but uh, it really tells us a lot about life, the ups and downs of life, different stages of life in, in those three minutes. And it's uh, very interesting to, uh, you know, uh, see that and somebody that creative to have done it. And... Um, I just have something to share with you about what our lives can be. What is life? And uh, you can bet your life on it, okay? Because I'm going to share it from scriptures. Um, and it's very simple. It's a reminder. Uh, and yet, um, I believe that God's presence is here to bring that word come alive for us. Um, we know that Christ came that we can have life. And life in all its abundance and that life is Zoe in Greek. That's why I was telling hey, Hazel and Zoe, I'm going to talk about Zoe today. And, um, yeah, yesterday, the whole of yesterday, we spoke about Shalom, what it means in Hebrew. And uh, Zoe in Greek, um, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, John 10, 10. But I have come that they may have Zoe and have it to the full. What is Zoe? is eternal life. Yes, we all know that. It's the God kind of life. It's a purpose-filled, fruitful, divinely directed way of life, not just life, right? Um, unfortunately, in English, for many things, it's just one word. You know, in Hindi, in Tamil, even for a word like love or life, we have several words that describe it. In the same way, in Greek, Zoe is eternal life, abundant life. It also means life yet to be created, uncreated life, life with a creative potential, right? You can make it, you can make it what you want it to be. And this is the kind of life that Jesus promises the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, where he says, rivers of living water will flow out of your belly. What happens when water flows out? 
does it flow in a particular shape in a particular space in a particular way it just flows right it flows of course you put a box it will fit the box but if there's no box it just flows or sometimes if the box is full it flows out of the box right and i believe as the church today in the times that we're living in here especially in india that is the kind of church we're supposed to be out of the box church right um in 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 nlt that is new living translation this is how it says my purpose is to give you a rich and satisfying life you can put the presentation on if you have it yeah my purpose is to give you a rich and satisfying life rich doesn't mean uh, remember zoe zoe is not um life physical life or material life it's divine life right so richness in every way of course god wants to bless us materially but just it's not just about physical richness it's about richness in every way and a satisfying life um you know that god will make available to us when we come to him so i just want to do a sort of an imaginary exercise with us this morning right um i don't know how many of you are writers here i know nawaz is one and she does a lot of things in fact i had to ask her what is it that you don't do because she writes she cooks amazing she she's an artist she's a musician i'm like please tell me what you don't do anyway so i'm sure that many <laughs> many of you here are writers and um, i just want us to um, you know kind of imagine that you're writing a story right how do you write a story if you google it you'll find five steps seven steps 10 steps to writing a story um but what you know the three components that are needed to writing a story is you have a compelling beginning yes yes thank you michelle thank you you're right on spot okay compelling beginning and then you create a powerful ending and this the middle you can just play around with it right you can ed- get to edit it if you don't like it change it maneuver it um as long as you have a determined ending right so that's how we write a story and stephen covey in the seven habits of highly effective people you know while discussing the habit two he says begin with the end in mind right begin with the end in mind and this is based on the fundamental principle of personal leadership to lead our lives effectively right so i and as the line suggests um effective living or leadership of our own lives first is about beginning with knowing where we are headed right our end in mind which means to have a vision for what you ha- want to achieve in life before you actually physically start it so in a sense that's like zoe it's uncreated potential there and god saying i have given you that right um and um yeah the, so we we saw how you know we write a story but right now i wanted to imagine your life as a story that you are co-creating with god you are writing a story a story that you want to leave behind my daughter is 17 years old and she um, goes to kodaikanal international school and how many of you heard about this place amazing place it's a 100 year old institution anyway she's there and i really love the tagline the school has it says um, a school the world needs right a school the world needs and i came back and told my church we have to be a church our world needs 
a church our city needs an out of the box church a church out there in the marketplace church out there in the artists world a church out there in our neighborhood right a church without walls that's what that's what we meet here on a sunday to get equipped to get refreshed to get inspired but the real church is out there monday to saturday right um so that so leadership in that sense for each of us or life with that creative potential is about the influence that you and i can have wherever god has placed us and robert clinton says this he says leadership is about recognizing and responding to god's providential shaping of your life we think leadership is position and role of course that's part of it but it's um, not about power play it's not about lording it over others as we know from scriptures it's basically about leading in the space that god has given us recognizing and responding god's providential shaping of our life coming back to writing a story as a work of art it is a work of art like any other work of art like painting or photography fashion designing or even creating music and um, when you think of art you think creativity when you think of art you think of something new right um, it is understood it is known that no artists makes um two similar pieces of art unless they want to do it for commercial purposes but everything an artist creates is unique it's an expression of their inner potential to make something new and beautiful every time new and beautiful every time it involves their imagination their capacity to create and their passion to bring something to life right so you look at it and you're inspired you're motivated you 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 can de-stress just by looking at a work of art and it speaks volumes to us without a single word written on it right and this work of art comes alive because of what the artist does but yet it is a static piece of art right it's hung there on a wall or in the museum the static piece of art Have you thought of your life as a work of art? Because that's what God thinks of it. That's how he's fashioned it. That's the potential he's put inside of you. And when he breathed his life in you, the moment you said, Lord Jesus, come into my life, Zoe started rolling. The potential for Zoe to hold Zoe has already been put in your life because we are created in the image of God, right? but it started rolling the moment Christ came into your life life in all its fullness life the way it is supposed to be not just for us but everyone outside the walls of the church as well you are writing a story a uniquely fashioned masterpiece we often look at creation you know when i go to kodaikanal or any beautiful place like wow so beautiful look at the sky wow so beautiful how many of us stand in front of the mirror every day and say wow i'm beautiful <laughs> because you are you're intricately and wonderfully and fearfully made but popular culture tells us you are not enough you have to look a certain way you have to fit into a box but no not zoe zoe doesn't fit into a box yeah. <laughs> we are constantly changing right we are more than the sum of our looks especially on women 
right? Uh, we are judged, we are objectified based on how we look primarily. But God sees more than that. We are created in the image of God. We are a whole bundle of amazing and intricately designed piece of art. But something in our fallen nature keeps telling us after we walk out of the church, you know, look at the ad. You don't have that kind of hair. or You don't have that kind of skin. Uh, you're not that good, really. <laughs> right? And again, the scriptures remind us through the Psalm of David, Psalm 139, God fashioned us intricately in our mother's womb. He was involved in the complexities of how you and I were made inside and out. We are not just objects to be looked at. Each one of us, can you believe it, in the whole world is so unique. Of course, we know this. Fingerprints, our iris pattern, our DNA, like none on the earth. And this is what Louis Giglio says. You might have heard him. It's at the heart of everything we struggle in life. Longing to be valuable, to be accepted, to be prized, to be worth something to somebody, to have a life that matters. And God's saying, you matter. He's already said it, you matter. I didn't make anyone else like you. You're not a reprint. You're not a lithograph. You are one of a kind, original creation of God. When we compare our lives to someone else, we are making God a photocopier or a, <laughs> or a scanner. God is not. He loves you and wants to be powerful through you. You are God's work of art in Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. When he was intricately designing you in your mother's womb, he decided who you will be, what your gift mix will be, what your talents will be, what your looks will be, what your skin color will be, and who, what kind of influence you will have in the world. Right? And I love how the NLT, the New Living Translation, paraphrases this verse. It says, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us new in Christ Jesus so we can do the things God planned for us long ago. We are God's work of art. And like we talked about how we are living sacrifices, like, you know, you might have heard this joke, living sacrifices have the habit of walking off the altar. <laughs> yeah, so we <laughs> don't walk off the altar. We are living, also we're living works of art, works of art, masterpieces who bear God's image in us. Right? And the dream that God has given you, we all think, you know, I, was, I thought like, oh, maybe if I come and accept Christ, I go to church, there's going to be a whole list of things not to do. Oh, my dream will go for a six. My talents and skills will go for a six. But no, the one who put that dream inside of you is God. God is not a dream killer. He designed that dream. It may have been corrupted by sin and selfishness, but he has put that in advance in you. And Ken Geyer says this, joy comes when we catch the rhythms of his heart, knowing what God has for us. Peace comes when we live in harmony with those rhythms. 
God put that dream in you. God gave you those gifts. He gave you those desires, those things that motivate you, that you go crazy over. Who do you think gave it to you? God gave it to you. He inspires you because he made you that way. You are God's work of art, a masterpiece. That is your compelling beginning as you write your story. And you write it, you co-create your story, Zoe, along with God, right? He wants you involved in your own life as he engages with you to create something beautiful. Secondly, you are God's ambassador of love to all people. I think Andrew reminded us this, this morning. When you have accepted this compelling beginning, you cannot help it. Remember the river of living water? You cannot help it. It's visible. You cannot help but be an ambassador of his love to the world. Like an artist uh, hangs, you know, they hang their painting and say, look what I've been able to do with the skill that I have. And God wants to show us to the world, look what I've, I can do with your life. Look what I've done with this life. And in that same breath, I just want to remind us, I'm sure you already know this, our primary ministry is not an, only about what we do, it's about who we are. It begins there. Simply being you in your sphere of influence, demonstrating God's work in you to the people in your world of influence. In your, that is your ministry. We don't define ministry in narrow ways where it's not just what you do on a Sunday or in a Bible study. Yes, that is ministry too. Uh, have you heard of this book called Thank God It's Monday? It's a really old book written by Mark Green. He, I think London Institute of Contemporary Christianity, which was started by Reverend John Stott, they were kind of the pioneers on this whole faith and work, right? Life at work. Yeah, and he, Mark Green, is, um, is an advertising guy, okay? And he writes, written this book called Thank God It's Monday. You might get it in Amazon. He says, we say, thank God it's Sunday. Let's go to church worship. He's like, wake up, disciple of Christ. It's Monday. Go to work and be a blessing. Right? Thank God it's Monday. You can be in the advertising world and be a missionary there. You can be a filmmaker and be a missionary there. Your ministry is showing people that they too can have Zoe. They too can know him as their creator and master craftsman. Keep writing out your story and write it in your unique way. Don't compare with others. And um, scripture is so powerfully, Paul says that God has given to us that ministry of reconciliation. I just love this verse. Uh, let me just show that to you. 2 Corinthians 5. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and were raised again. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You're wondering what's your ministry? <laughs> All of us have the same thing, the ministry of reconciliation. Yeah. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sin against him. And he has committed to us the message, 
not just the ministry, he's also given us the message of reconciliation. What a responsibility you and I carry. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal. God is saying, please, Lasya, you are my ambassador. Don't forget that, Lasya. I've given you that ministry. I've given you the message. You show the world who I am. And that is the good news. That's what we're about. It's not about a religion, right? It's not about you come to my church. <laughs> of course, come to church, but it's not about building our own kingdoms. It's about carrying that message and ministry of reconciliation. And finally, you are God's disruptive ammunition, right? Um, sometimes we think out there when we go in the world, especially in the context of persecution and other things, we sometimes feel insignificant, we feel weak, but remember that God's resurrection power lives in you. Let's look at this verse again. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are, first, of course, being, and we do as well. Our being flows from our doing, and God has already prepared this for us in advance with the dreams, the gifts, and today the positions, the roles, the influence that you have in your sphere of influence. And why do I say disruptive ammunition? God is disruptive. I think uh, Nava's already spoke half of my message, okay? <laughs> Great, that's, that's what we're supposed to do. Take it and spread it around. Salvation is disruptive. What do I mean by that? It disrupts you. If you are the same after accepting Jesus, you haven't really accepted him. <laughs> I, I have a friend who's single and... Um, and um, those of us who have children and who always have to live with the mess um, and keep cleaning the mess, we go to our house and make it messy on purpose because her house is always neat, okay? No one's disturbed. So we go and disrupt her house. So if you've really allowed Jesus into your house, into your heart, <laughs> he will disrupt you. And sometimes it will be messy, it will be painful because he loves you. He disciplines those he loves. He wants you, he's shaping you to be more like him, right? And um, one, um, one of my mentors, I, you know, some things you, your mentors tell you or they preach, you never forget in your life. He said, do you know what repentance is? Um, and he used to de demonstrate it this way. I hope I don't fall. Um, you're walking a certain way, right? And he says, Jesus, come into my life. So you go this way, right? So that is big disruption. And disruption is happening in our lives every day. And that is the middle of our story, right? We know the ending. We know the beginning. We will be edited. We will be renewed. <laughs> we will be disrupted. Disrupting sin and infusing holiness. We'll never be perfect till that day. But we are on a journey of getting there. And then God uses us through for the ministry of reconciliation, which is actually to disrupt sin out there, darkness out there. Mac Pierre um, is, a, is a, what is he, a pioneer, an author. If you can get hold of his books, please do. He founded the movement.org in New York. 
and um, he wrote the whole disruptive series, a disruptive gospel, a disruptive God, a disruptive generosity. He talks about godly disruption. And in the world of work, probably those of you in IT firms, you, you probably hear about disruptive innovation often, right? I was talking to Hazel the other day, she said, I don't go out shopping. Um, COVID actually spoiled all of us. I don't go out shopping. I'm really annoyed when I go out to you know, shop because I can just get that online and it comes and I can return it if I don't like it. E-commerce, right, was disruptive. And when it first started, uh, businesses were afraid. <laughs> and then they figured out how to do it, right? So disruptive innovation is good. It's a creative word. Um, people hate redundancy. So we need also find creative ways to do church, right? Um, so that we can reach the world with those new ugly problems. Um, God disrupts through us the status quo of the world. You may have a unique calling. You may have be called to disrupt um, human trafficking or, or um, issue of pornography or the issue of drugs in the city or corruption in politics. You know what God has called you to disrupt. We are salt and light, as Nawaz reminded us. And this is what Max says. He says, the scope of the gospel includes yet goes far beyond its impact on us personally. The gospel does disrupt. It affects our decisions, right? Who we marry, what job we take, where we live, what we do, about where we, yeah. Who, oh, it's there. I thought I was saying it on my own. Okay. It also disrupts culture, cities, and civilization. How many of you think that in India we need to disrupt culture? As much as I'm proud of the diversity of our culture, there are toxic norms in our culture that need to be disrupted. Right? Toxic culture needs disruption like Jesus did. He spoke with a woman. He let a sinful woman anoint him. He forgave sinners. He ate with tax collectors. He broke the norm. It's very interesting how, you know, in the context of salt and light, we all know what salt does, we, know, we all know what light does, but in some ways they are the opposite, right? Salt, you don't see when it's in food, you don't see, it's invisible, but it still disrupts. Light is seen, visible, city on a hill, um, and there's that sort of disruption. When do we act like salt? When do we act like light? God has given us, God has to give us the discernment and wisdom. And... Um, but do you know that salt also kills? Salt kills. <laughs> uh, it was interesting, I was reading uh, some time back and I read this article on how to kill a tree silently, okay? <laughs> you know that? How to kill a tree silently. Um, you just dig up, if you don't want a tree in a particular place, please don't do that in India, we need trees. <laughs> but this is how it is done. You dig uh, up the roots and you put a certain amount of salt there and you cover up. So what happens is when you water the tree, um, the salt goes up and clogs the roots and the tree dies a slow death. Not immediately, but slowly, right? So sometimes we have to be that, we have to infiltrate the world that God has placed us in to kill injustice, to remove evil, Right? Salt disrupts. 
we kill you know we read in jeremiah we don't just say nice things we uproot we break down also right we are the prophets in this nation salt and light it's a prophetic role we have we are called to kill and disrupt sometimes nobody knows what we're doing but it's happening slowly we are god's disruptive ammunition we are like a spiritual our lives are a spiritual weapon we often quote that verse and say i i wear this helmet of salvation of course all that's right but your life the way you live it is a spiritual weapon your integrity your authenticity your um, the way you show compassion to those who work with you to work those who work under you the way you show grace the way you forgive you stand out like a spiritual weapon it is powerful in a world which is going in the opposite direction we have been given the power of transforming our environments to redeem god's world back to himself right so i just a little bit about what god's doing or he did or continues to do through my life i i'm still a work in progress <laughs> i haven't arrived yet and i'm sure what he's done and he's doing in my life he will do it in your so one of the things that stood out to me was right from a young age i've seen women uh, right in front of me going through a lot of pain violence abuse and sometimes culture says that's okay husband say this is my wife i can beat her up who who are you to come and ask me right and as a young girl i kept thinking god is the gospel really good news for women and it was a journey of finding out for myself one of my professors actually says we sometimes weaponize the gospel we weaponize god's word we take a scripture and we say women you be silent women you are not as good as the man you don't belong here we weaponize the gospel and i've cried out to god saying god you put these gifts inside of me but i keep hearing this wherever i go is the gospel really good news for women and i began to search and i began to hold god's word close to my heart because it is good news for women it is the best ever news for women and that led us to start women of worth as a an expression from our church really a non-profit called women of worth because that's one of the basic things women around us struggle with am i really worth it will people listen to me when i speak can i really do this so yeah like navas said we do quite a few things like advocacy uh, training and rehabilitation and out of this um, another issue you know we were, we would spend a lot of time with the college students and i would see a lot of young women so depressed such low self esteem and when you talk to them they will say i'm so dark my parents tell me i will not get married when i go to school nobody wants to sit next to me nobody wants to date me and my relatives say i look like the maid in the house i'm sorry about but these things people these these are real statements i'm not making these up and we would keep hearing these things we would keep telling them you know no that's not true god loves you and all that stuff but it just wasn't getting anywhere and there was this one particular friend in our team who had a marriage proposal i hope i'm okay with time who had a marriage proposal sapna she right now she lives in vienna and she uh, is from kerala 
And so there is this proposal, arranged marriage proposal for her. The grooms or relatives um, come from UK to see her. And um, the groom, by the way, was, uh, she was told that this groom uh, cannot walk. He uh, met with uh, an accident and he's on a wheelchair. Are you okay to consider him? And she said, of course, I don't mind. I'm looking I'm beyond all this to the heart of the person. I, I have no problem. So the family come to see him and they go see uh, Sapna and they go back. And she never heard anything from them for a long time. And then she's like, what, what's happening? She's highly accomplished, smart, talented, gifted, beautiful girl. But the aunt of the guy calls the family and say, um, the parents feel the daughter is too dark for their son. And I thought, what on earth is happening? You know, that's when we, yeah. Um, I've had parents come and cry to me saying that, you know, I have this, this twins, twin girls, but one of them is lighter than the other. The lighter one gets chosen for plays to be the angel in the play and, and she's, when the school photograph, they want her right in the middle and whereas the other one is sidelined. We go into a shop, the light-skinned one, get, her cheeks get pinched and she gets a lollipop. So I said, God, what's happening? We heard many stories before we started the Darkest Beautiful campaign, which addresses the toxic belief that a person's worth is measured by the color of their skin. And we were like, we are a very small non-profit, <laughs> insignificant people, somewhere in a corner in Chennai. We put a very small ad in the newspaper, a free ad, and we think no one's going to see it, no one's going to respond. And we wake up to a rude shock. The campaign goes viral. There was a point in time when I was um, appearing in media interviews three times a day, different media from all over the world. So far, I've spoken to media in about 21 nations. Wow. Yeah, it's... <laughs> Thank you, but I would stand there and say, Lord, I don't know what to say. I'm a church girl. <laughs> but God pushed me. God pushed me to disrupt. I didn't know how to do it, but God did it through me. So you can do that too. See how a thing grows, or it's up to God, right? God makes it grow. But you can be faithful in what God has called you to do. Small or big, doesn't matter. And that was a campaign. My story is there in that booklet. Um, so yeah, you're welcome to buy it. And then, yeah, the most recent thing is, um, you know, God took me out into the world and, you know, I was like very comfortable talking and I got comfortable speaking to people about the campaign. And then God says, my church, what happened to my church? And said, I come into the church and I see women struggling in the church, abuse in the church, violence in the church. Church is unsafe for women and children. And, um, and then that was about the time when Mac Pierre was doing these Zoom sessions online. And uh, he introduced this disruptive gospel. I'm like, yeah, that's my life. I am a disruptive woman. And then few of us disruptive women, women got together and started disruptive 
um, women's network, which is across South Asia. And I met lovely Nawaz and Lassia. Some of us, we were at a summit in Goa in August to plan how can we, not as one church, but many churches collaborate to make India a safe place, a place of shalom for women and girls, okay? I just want you to watch that video. I'm done. Sorry if I took a lot of time. Yeah. Join us, men and women. Yeah, it's over to call it. Now. Yeah, I just want to bless you with God's Zoe, his creative potential in you can do amazing things. Just want to finish with this. We don't just have life. We don't, we have Christ, who's life himself. We have him, he's life. God bless you. We'll just pray for you. You know, when Jesus walked the earth, sure, he, he helped us, he died for us, he uh, helped us know the Father. But as Kavita mentioned, he also disrupted society. Didn't he do that? Yeah? The woman at the well, she was, a, you know, she was a Samaritan. He sat down and he spoke to her. You know, he ate with tax collectors and sinners. So as Christians, we are called, in fact, commanded to proclaim the gospel. And we need to do that, yeah, as we were reminded this morning. But we are also called to be salt and light in society. Yeah, but we are... We are uh, engaging with the challenges and the problems of society that we face and that many face, you know, whether it's the color of your skin or your gender or anything else. And, and the church is called to rise up towards that. And so Kavita, thank you so much for sharing with us what you do and challenging us to join in this amazing, it's, it's the advancement of the kingdom. That's what it is. Or it may be called disruptive women or whatever, but it is kingdom advance. All right? So, um, Nawaz has already encouraged us, get hold of that book. Get hold of multiple copies gifted to people. Number two is uh, we'll be uh, sharing details of their trust, society. So, if anybody would like to give financially towards that, yeah, we'll put it on the church group. So you all can support the mission of what they are doing as well. Yeah, as a church, we will also be giving to that. But you're invited and, uh, to give that. And I thought before ending, can we just pray for Kavita? You know, and the work she's doing. And uh, pray that God would use her greatly. Yeah? Come. Come. A few of us like to come forward, lay hands on her. And uh, we'll just pray. Lord, we just thank you. Thank you for uh, Kavita and all that she represents. We just thank you for what she's done in uh, our, our nation, in, uh, oh Lord, in just challenging the, the stereotypes of color of skin and other things, Lord. Lord, we stand with her and we pray that as we continue to proclaim the gospel, Lord, we would disrupt stereotypes and long-held beliefs in society and see uh, people of all, of all colors and mindsets being accepted because of the gospel, Father. Oh, Lord, we just pray for that. We pray for Kavita and, and women of worth and disruptive women. Lord, even as we're trying to do so many things in society, Lord, making 
churches and society a safe place. We bless her and all that she does. And her husband, Jake, as well. In Jesus' name, amen.